hello everybody. Welcome uh, to Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, this week we're going to be talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, which is Corey's first time seeing it, and I've already said her name, so Corey, how's it going? Hello, I'm well, how are you? Good. Um, I'm John Burke, and we are, uh, we're going to be getting into our topic this week pretty soon, but first, we like to talk about upcoming releases. So next week, um, March 24th, we have three movies coming out um, with wide releases, and uh, we watch the trailers, and we're going to give our kind of thoughts and whether or not we're excited about the films. Um, I think we'll start with what is probably going to be the biggest release next week, um, and that's Power Rangers, the 2017 version of the old TV classic uh what do you think about Power Rangers, Corey? I, okay. I have a hard time with all of these movies that are coming out from shows or other movies that we liked as kids. I think that there's way too much room for them to disappoint. So I'm nervous. Well, I mean, were you a fan of the show? I used to watch it every morning before school. Okay. The originals, right? Not like Turbo or Dino or all those other crappy ones. <laughs> No, I was seven, I think. Okay, well, I'm a few years older than you, because I was like 12 when, uh, no, yeah, you couldn't have been seven. I'm not that much older than you. Um, I was 12. Hold on, I was in third grade. I was eight, I think. How old are you now? I don't say that, John. Oh, oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> well, I'm only 34, and I know I was 11 or 12 when I started, because I distinctively remember being embarrassed by the fact that I was watching it, um, because I was in middle school, and, uh... I started watching it right when it came out, and so I, one of us is off with our age. But I, I am a hundred percent confident because I was my Aren't you eight obsessed. in third grade? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, nine, ten, yeah, uh, uh, definitely. But that would put me at um four years older than you, and I don't think that's right. Nope, so, <laughs> you're this many. <laughs> Got it. Um, so yeah, it's okay. But maybe you just weren't as obsessed with it as I was. Cause I was like uber obsessed with Power Rangers. Like I had all the action figures and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, this film, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's the modern adaptation. You've got big stars, Brian Cranston playing, um, uh, Zordon and Elizabeth Banks. I hope I'm saying her. I was, yep. I was right. Elizabeth Banks playing the villain Rita Repulsa and Bill Hader is the voice of Alpha 5, the robot. Um, and then uh, looks like relative newcomers for most of the rest of the cast. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. The costumes are interesting. I don't love them. I don't hate them. I don't like that they're showing them with their like mask visors open, uh, a la Iron Man in the uh, Avengers films and or the Marvel films. And um, you know, I, I don't know. There's some comedy in it. It's definitely a little edgier than the old TV shows, but it still feels like there might be a little bit of the camp that you had in the TV shows. Um, not sure. Uh, I, I mean, I'm definitely going to go see it. Um, my daughter will not commit. She is uh, resisting saying she's definitely going to go with me. Um, so that's probably not a good sign because I think she's a little older than the, the demographic they're appealing to. But um, they're definitely hoping that the old fans will come and then maybe the kids will show up. Um, all right. So Power Rangers, you're you're torn. You don't know if you're going to go see. Yeah, if Bill wants to see it, I'll go see it. Okay. Well, next up, um, one that has been up and down in my my uh, interest level is Life, uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds. Um, the first trailer I saw for it, I was intrigued but not super excited. Um, they didn't really sell the movie the same way the new trailer, and I think the one you watched uh, is now selling it, where it very much feels like um, Alien. And yes. that that made me excited when I finally saw the trailer um, that made it look more like a suspense thriller and not just like a uh, space drama with an alien in it. Um, I was suddenly very intrigued and uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing life now. Um, what about you? I'm hoping this one comes in IMAX. Let me give you my money. Movie theaters. Um, I can't remember if I had already seen a trailer for this, but um, yes, I'm actually pretty excited about this one. I really like movies set in space and this one looks like it's gonna be terrifying i agree about alien um and also i've only seen it once but um a space odyssey to um 2001 space odyssey um some of the um trailer scenes in the trailer reminded me of that film so i'm pretty intrigued well i i like ryan reynolds i like jake gyllenhaal um i'm it's interesting to see them together i i hope it's good uh there's no reviews right now so i don't i guess they have not done any screenings um 
which is a little weird given that it's a big name movie like this and they haven't shown it to enough you know people to get any reviews out already which you know whatever I mean, we'll start seeing stuff probably Monday or Tuesday um, it might be that people have seen it they just have them under embargo where they can't talk about it yet but usually at this point they'd want to start hyping it so either that the critical reception was not positive and they're like uh just hang on until it comes out please because we have to make our money back um oh, no. all right uh chips is our last movie for uh next week march 24th um chips is a tv series which you mentioned with power rangers already tv series from the uh i feel like it's the 80s but maybe it was older and i just watched the reruns as a kid i don't know um but uh chips is a bicycle cops um i think it's california it's an it's an acronym but i don't remember what it stands for oh california highway patrol motorcycle no still doesn't make sense but whatever um it stars Michael Pena and Dax Shepard, who I really love Michael Pena. Um, if you haven't seen Ant-Man, he is fantastic as the comic relief in that movie. Um, with I- Jake Gyllenhaal, he was in uh, End of Watch, which was a really cool um like found footage style cop drama that I, I really like them together. Um, so I'm, I'm very intrigued to see him playing this lead comedic role. Um, Dak Shepard looks funny in the, tra- in the trailer. And I think I just saw in a picture Vincent D'Onofrio is in it as well. Um, oh, and Kristen Bell, which is Dak Shepard's wife. So that's not that surprising. Maya Rudolph's in it. Um, so you've got some funny people. Uh, I think it looks okay like i think it'll be pretty funny i'm just hoping that all the good parts aren't in the in the trailer and i hope it can do what 21 jump street did which was you know it took the old dramatic show and turned it into a comedy and that's definitely what chips is going for but what are your thoughts i have never seen the show before um i don't gravitate towards comedies very often um so i don't know when i would get around to seeing this one have you no soul Corey? you don't like to laugh pretty much no soul no apparently i like to watch movies that scare me or make me cry (laughs) those Ah. are my favorite well, you know, everyone needs to laugh from time to time. And I hope, I, I definitely will see Chips. I actually, hoping, because um, we're on spring break, I'm hoping to knock all three out pretty quickly next weekend uh, when they come out. I wish one was coming out like on Wednesday to make it a little easier for me to see them all. But because this week uh, on the 17th, Beauty and the Beast came out, which my review is up on BurkeReviews.com. And I'll be, I'm going to be making an effort to go see the Belco Experiment, which is not playing at my local theater, but playing one town over. So not too far. Um, I'm not sure. Our, our local theater is showing. Beauty and the Beast in five of their 12 theaters um, because well to be fair uh, last night's uh, well Thursday night premiere um, was packed which is not common for a Thursday night premiere at our at our theater so um, I'm guessing that's why Belco's not at our theater because they've got Beauty and the Beast in five different theaters um, aren't there like 12 there though are there 12? Yeah, there are 12. Screens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're still showing Logan, and they're still, uh, they still have Kong. Um, there's a lot of, you know, March has been big, uh, and it's still we still have Ghost in the Shell, Power Rangers, and Life are all other big releases. And Chips is, I don't, I wouldn't call Chips a big release, but I, I think the, the studio is hoping to get a similar response that they got out of 21 Jump Street. Um, and uh, Baywatch later this year is getting the same treatment uh, with Rock and Zac Efron uh, taking over the, you know, the Baywatch TV series on the big screen. Um, and I think there's one more show adaptation happening this year, but I can't think of what it is. But um, so that's trailer talk for this week. Uh, if you go to BurkeReviews.com and for this episode of the podcast, you can watch all three trailers right from our website. So you don't have to go looking on YouTube to find out which ones we watch. Um, there is a Red Band trailer out for Chips, which is pretty funny. Um, that's what Corey watched uh, this week. I've actually seen all three of these trailers far too many times, so I didn't have to check up on anything to know what was going on. These have been on my list for a while. Um, but, you know, I, I see a lot of movies. And now, um, especially for the ones that I've been going to, because there have been crowds, like Logan was busy, uh, Kong was busier than I thought it would be, uh, Beauty and the Beast, we got there 25 minutes early, and we still didn't have our pick of seats because there were already people in the theater. Um, we still got better seats than we would have if we, I did what I've been doing, which is showing up right before the trailer started. Um, and I knew that Beauty and Beast would be busier, so we made plans. We got there. Um, we we went in the theater literally 15 minutes before the trailer started, and there were already a bunch of people sitting in the, in the seats. Tons of little children, which I expected. I got to say though, relatively well behaved little children. Because we even had a like we had like an infant in front of us who only cried for like half a second, and the parent got up and walked out with the theater. So I was like, I know, right? Like, oh Thank my god! Thank you, parents. Courtesy. Um, 
The only thing that irritated me was they, uh, the parent did have their phone on and they lifted it up and it was the brightest phone I've ever seen. Like, I don't know if it was like the sun, you know, 2000 or something, but as they lifted it up, I was blinded for half a second. It was so bright. Um, but, uh, then my, my wife who doesn't follow the movie etiquette that I did, she, one of our friends was texting us in the middle of the movie, texted me first. And when I didn't respond, texted her and she responded and I like, I want to slap the phone out of her hand, but not her the phone because it's like dude you can't do that because the people behind you are seeing a glow and that's rude and that's you know so distracting it is and i like she doesn't go to a whole lot of movies so i don't fault her um and it wasn't an emergency or anything like that like it was it was a big announcement not to uh downgrade my friend's response but it wasn't it wasn't something we needed to have the conversation in the middle of the movie um but yeah beauty and the beast my reviews online um i gotta say i was i was kind of bored for the first 10 minutes or so um and i kind of felt a little bored throughout um not completely, but more than I expected. Like, I really thought I'd be taken away. Like, when I saw Moana, I went in thinking I was going to be bored, and I was really blown away and loved every second of that movie. I've talked about it endlessly on the podcast. Beauty and the Beast did not do that for me, but we're not here to talk about that, because Corey hasn't seen Beauty and the Beast yet. Have you, Corey? No, and I just keep hearing all of this negative stuff about it, and it's making me sad. And I don't want things like that to affect me, but when I hear stuff like that over and over again, not just from you, not just from our friends when I like because I read a lot of different things you know or I'll see like a headline or something I'll see like a snippet and it I know that it does get to me even though I try not to let it I'm like oh well if I don't catch this one no big deal um so well I dang it when I, when I walked out and asked my wife and daughter what they thought, and they were both like, we loved it. And I was like, oh, even the new songs? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh. So I kind of got worried that maybe it was my, like, maybe I had the wrong he- mindset when I went in, like, you know, that I was just hating on it to hate on it kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But then I, I, I went to IMDb and looked, and the Metacritic was 66. And I wasn't, I don't hate the movie. I want to be clear. I actually liked the movie. I didn't love the movie and the, the things that I didn't love about it stand out quite a bit to me. And it, it made my review. Uh, if you haven't seen my review, I, I gave it the decent watch rating, which is not a negative rating. That's actually a, a positive rating. It's just not an exceptional film. It's not revolutionary. It's not one I'm going to rush out and buy when it comes out. Um, well, I might because my wife and daughter love it, but I won't be like excited about buying it. Um, so, but again, it's it's not bad. It's just not as good to me as the animated movie. And I don't know that it needed to be made um, because, again, I don't think I said this on mic, but the best parts of the movie are the stuff they recreated from the animated movie. So why do that if we already have the animated movie? Where, like, if you look at Jungle Book, while there are some things from the the original story, it's a different movie than the animated. Like, if you do shot by shot, it's not the same film at all. Um, there's more development with, like, the wolves, and then there's the, the songs are mainly cut out. Um, you only get two of the songs from the Jungle Book, so they took a lot of the musical element out. And even the way we get the songs, they're much um, different than the way the animated one is. So it's... It's like its own movie. The live-action Cinderella doesn't really resemble the animated Cinderella at all, um, other than a few key, like little, you know, imagery elements or symbols that they brought back in. But for the most part, it resembles the f- original fairy tale more. You know, they went a little like the the sisters' heels get cut and things like that, which is more traditional. Um, the dress is similar, but not exact. Um, like the fairy godmother's there, and she does do some magical stuff, but it's done in a cool, unique way to the live action. So those movies felt like, oh, they're their own thing. Like, yes, there's the animated version, but now there's this live action version. They're both their own thing. Beauty and the Beast does not feel like that. Beauty and the Beast feels like there's an animated version and then there's a live action version of the animated version that added some scenes that aren't any good. So why watch it when you can just watch the animated version? That's where I'm coming from. Again, it still has all the good stuff from the animated version, so it's still good, but they added things that make the movie worse because there's these tangents and plot lines that seem to go almost nowhere. And it it almost uh, you've seen the, the Halloween remake that Rob Zombie did. No. Oh, well, probably a good choice. Um, I wanna. Most people don't like it because Rob Zombie decided he needed to spend an hour on the backstory of Michael Myers, understanding him as a character, which you don't. Um, and that's where most people's biggest complaint is with that. And I feel like they did that again. Um, they, I don't feel like the, the writers thought the audience can be sympathetic to Beast if he's a jerk outright. They had to try to explain why he was a jerk. And it's a really crappy explanation. And the, it's barely explained but they did cram something in there like they didn't trust the audience 
to just believe that a jerk can change. Um, because that's the animated, right? He's he's a jerk. He's turned into a beast as a result of being a jerk. And through love, he finally changes. Through Belle's love, he finally changes. That's enough for me. And I don't feel like uh, the writers bought into it. However, while it seems like your casual moviegoers and like your fans of the uh, just Disney in general are raving about it, um, critics are on my boat. They're, the 66 Metacritic seems to say that most critics feel the same. It's, it's not bad. It's just not great. And that's a lot of what I'm seeing, that it's not necessary or I can't even remember, oh, that it's a, a couple that I've seen and they weren't from Huffington Post, but um, that it's not healthy relationship, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I'm, I kind of wonder, to hearing you kind of say that it's not a necessary movie, that, you know, they tried to get her Emma Watson to play Cinderella and she didn't want to. Hmm. And then she was gung-ho to play Belle. And I can understand why with the things that she um, supports and is an activist for. Um, but I wonder, I don't know this, but I wonder if they went in to make this movie and already had her in mind, I guess. Actually, she's, I thought she was fine. Like, I had no issues with her as Belle. In fact, most of the cast, I thought Josh Gad with LeFou, or however you say the character's name, um, I think hmm. is a revelation. I feel like that character in the animated series or animated uh, movie is despicable and not really likable and he's just like a sidekick to Gaston. He's a complex mm-hmm. character in this movie. He was fleshed out and interesting and he's not... A evil jerk he is loyal to Gaston but also he's a good person who's torn with all of Gaston's actions and it's believable and he plays the character very well and nuanced and I thought he did great and of course he is um, I believe he's the character that everyone was saying is the blatantly gay character even though that is an overstatement um, as if he is the character that's being referred to as blatantly gay because he never says I'm gay there's some there's some clear in- hints and indications but to be an openly gay character seems to imply that he would like you know reference oh my husband or something nothing like that happens uh, even there's even a part where he says something along the lines of like um, why don't you have a lady and there's like a hint at him being gay but it's still not clear and so Alabama is not showing Beauty and the Beast because of the gay character or at least some theaters are not showing in Alabama and Russia banned it completely Um, and I'm like really? Because there's two scenes in the film that seem to guarantee that there is a homosexual character in the film but they're both super mild and I don't even think it's a guarantee like it's it's a big statement to say it's over you know like again there's no male kiss there's no man man on man kiss there's no you know hands held there is a I don't I don't want to spoil and I don't know that it would be. There is a scene of two men for half a second appear to start to like slow dance, but it's literally on screen for half a second. And again, two men dancing does not make them gay. Sorry, everybody. It's not like, sure, it may not be the most usual thing, but two men dancing could be a number of things. Maybe they're being silly. Maybe they are gay, but it's not a guarantee of them being gay, especially enough to ban the movie because of your bigotry. Like, it's like, wow. That's what I'm wondering. Is it worth like the lost revenue? Which, I mean, I don't if think you so. and this, I do think this movie is going to break box office records for March. Um, given what I've seen and the hype about the film from the fan base, uh, I don't think critical because uh, again, the critics aren't hating on this film. Um, they're not loving this film, but I don't think that's going to be enough to stop the people who love Beauty and the Beast from going. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear the March record being broken for uh, box office. But all right, enough about Beauty and the Beast. Um, this isn't a Beauty and the Beast episode, although you've got a lot of information, people. Um, again. My, my review is online and there it is spoiler free. Um, I do talk about some of the scenes that are added, but not in too much detail and none of them are spoilers. So uh, feel free to check that out and uh, get more explanation from me of why I, I didn't like it, but also what I did like, because again, there are some good parts to it. Um, all right. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, let's talk about the details of the film. Um, it Should is, we? Go ahead. Spoiler oh, warning. Yes, please. Okay. Um, so we are going to talk about this movie, some of the scenes in great detail. If you don't want to to be spoiled go watch it and then come back and give us a listen and i'm going to real quick check twitter i don't think anybody uh participated in this week's um reviews however i do want to check and uh make sure before we move forward but every week uh we tell you ahead of time like at the end of this episode we will tell you um what we're going to be talking about for next week's episode and we would love to hear from you and read your reviews and comments on the podcast um yep as for now no one has uh done that for this episode but that's okay um 
hopefully in the future as we get more and more listeners, um, some of you will decide to reach out and participate. So, um, Eternal Sunshine Spot is Mine is from 2004, directed by Michael Gondry, um, written by Charlie Kaufman, and uh, Michael Gondry is involved as well as some others, apparently. There's three people on the writing credits. Um, oh, no, it's just double Charlie Kaufman. I apologize. Nope, I'm wrong. Pierre Bismuth is also listed for story. Um, so, the film stars Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Tom Wilkinson, um, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Kirsten Dunst, and Elijah Wood, as well as some appearances by David Cross and Jane Addams, who are some comedians that are pretty funny. Um, the summary of the film, when their relationship uh, turns sour, a couple of, a couple undergoes a procedure to have e- each other erased from their memories, but is only when only through the process of loss they discover what they had to begin with. Um, now, this is my fourth viewing of this film in the last year. Uh, I watched it for the first time last summer during my 366 challenge. I then I loved it so much, and it's also um, the, my my film students have been learning uh, the Blake Snyder method to screenwriting, and uh, part of that is understanding his archetypes. And in his archetypes, there is one called Out of the Bottle, and Eternal Sunshine is the film that he uh, references in it. So we watched it in class. So I taught it twice. Um, so I have film. I have two periods of film, and so I taught it both periods. So I've seen it those two times, and then I watched it tonight right before we recording this episode um and i have to say i think it might be one of my favorite movies like uh, the more i see it the more i appreciate it um it's comedy but it's definitely more of a drama and um that's not something i often want to rewatch. but i really love rewatching this there's so many great visuals in this film and the color palette and the the way the story unfolds and i really love both kate winslet and jim carrey in this film but this is Corey's first time now Corey is not a big fan of jim carrey she does like kate winslet but I want to hear more from her. So I'm going to try to back off and let Corey talk a little more. Uh, what normally happens is we do a, like, f- from beginning to end breakdown of the plot. We're going to try to move away from that. Um, we want to hit the highlights, the things we love, the things we uh, like, and the things we don't, and then kind of our overall thoughts and end with our rating of the film, um, which my rating has been up for a while, but nonetheless, uh, it has not changed. So I'll give that again. But um, Corey, let's talk about Eternal Sunshine and the Spot of Mind. What, what did you think of this movie? Okay, this is one of those movies, I know you don't do this, you don't like doing it, but this is a movie that I wish that I had the time to pause it and walk away for a while and come back. It made me very anxious, actually. Um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what made me so anxious, but there were a couple times um, that I was just like, I need a minute or um, something. I did really like the cast in this. I know that I know Tom Wilkinson, but I didn't, I couldn't place him for some reason and then i was like oh yeah he's carmine falcone from uh oh dark knight the batman yeah yeah um i don't generally like jim carrey i do need to revisit um cable guy i uh, want to yeah. revisit like that, that. um but i did really like him in this film a lot actually um i thought he did a really good job um carrying his emotions sometimes i feel like actors don't accurately or appropriately portray their emotions in body language but i thought he did a great job of that um even from the very beginning when he's first waking up and the sunshine's coming in the window and i'm not quite sure what that thing is hanging beside his window is it a little bird it might be i i don't know if i paid attention to that detail to be honest um and then i did like kate winslet in this movie i think that some maybe she might have caused a little bit of my anxiety actually um but i enjoyed their relationship um dynamics I feel like we see that a lot in movies, though, where the female um, is much more adventurous, um, spontaneous, and then it kind of makes the guy in the relationship do that and be, um, you know, take part in things he probably wouldn't. I feel like I'm talking a whole lot. <laughs> no, I know. I, I want you to talk a whole lot. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, you're not wrong. Um, it is a common uh, archetype. Mainly, I think introverts are relatable um, for film watchers. You know, a lot of us, are, it's one of the reasons I enjoy going to a theater is I don't have to talk to people. Um, kind of guaranteed for two hours, hopefully, you know, pending someone stepping over me or something like that. Um, but um, I, and with the anxiety, like, there, are the, the, the way this plays out, because they're erasing his memories through most of the film that's 
one of the the dynamics of the film that is so it allows for so much innovation with the visuals um because we're inside his mind so things vanish we're inside his mind and things are being deleted from his mind so things will just suddenly vanish or they'll become out of focus and there's these really just amazing stunning visual moments um and within that we're we kind of start with the most recent memories and work backwards so we start at the end of their relationship so we're witnessing like them fighting and them being cruel to each other and um if you've ever been in a, a that awkward moment where you like a couple starts fighting and you're just kind of there having to witness it that's part of this movie and that definitely creates anxiety for me um but one that i am i am intrigued by because he is so um subdued and subtle which is not jim carrey's way in fact i read some uh interesting facts about this movie um while i was watching it tonight because again i've seen it four times so i was watching it but i was also doing some additional research looking into things and um jim carrey is very notorious for being an improv guy he does a lot of his scenes he'll run through multiple takes and different lines trying out different jokes and in this film, Michael Gondry would not let him improv. He made him stick to the script. Good, but- because that is something about him. He's so loud and so big and so in your face that that is a lot of why I don't like him. He <laughs> just never takes a step back, you know? I I, I do like that, um, but I, I can see what you're meaning because there are other actors who I don't think pull it off. Melissa McCarthy is one that I don't like when she goes big. Um, I don't like Rebel Wilson when she goes big uh, as far as their, their improv stuff. I like when they stay on script. And some of her, uh, I, Rebel Wilson, I think, has been overplayed, but some of McCarthy's stuff I do enjoy. Like most of her stuff in Bridesmaids I think is hilarious, but I don't like Heat um, nearly as much as some other people. I found Heat kind of obnoxious and just, ugh, and I did like Spy, but um, I think sometimes having them pull back and be with, w- constrained is important. But the opposite is true of the rest of the cast. Gondry was constantly having telling uh, Kate Winslet to go big, that she was the... Uh, he would say to her, this is according to the article I read, um, that it's comedy, go big, and then tell Jim Carrey it's a drama, you have to stay small and stay on script. And it, it was apparently making Jim Carrey very uncomfortable. That's not his style, as we just mentioned. And I think you see that in this character, that he does co- always seem a little uncomfortable out of his element. Like, he's he's frustrated, and I think that's why this performance is so remarkable. Um, I like him in most things. Again, I know he's in a, he's like a lot of stuff. Not everyone's going to love him or appreciate what he does comedically, but it does work for me. But this role in particular, and I've not seen um, two of his other dramatic roles. I've not seen um, Man on the Moon, and I've not seen um, it's not, is The Majestic the good one? I feel like there's another one that's well regarded. I don't think The Majestic's regarded well. Um, but Truman Show, I love, and it is more comedic than some of the other other roles, but it's definitely got uh, some real human elements. Um, but I, I do think his best performance is Eternal Sunshine, and um, I'm glad that you uh, in, did, he didn't wreck this film for you. Yeah, um, and then that was something that I very much noticed about Kate Winslet. Um, I haven't seen her in a ton of roles. I can only think of like three or four right now. Well, she's um, the Polish uh, secretary in Steve Jobs, um, where she's fantastic. Uh, Titanic, yes. which I don't like Titanic. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched it in a long time, so there's definitely a chance that my high school jealousy of Leonardo DiCaprio is more of my reason uh, to resent um, him. Because to be fair, when you're a high school kid and all the girls are like, oh, Leo, it's hard to like him. I love him now because I'm past that, but I've not rewatched Titanic since I've become a fan of his. Um, so maybe I can like it. I still, I'm also not a huge James Cameron supporter. Um, I, I find Dang that- Avatar. I find that a lot of his movies rely more on the visuals and less on the story, and I am a very big proponent of good story, um, and Avatar being the pinnacle of that, as I feel like it's lacking in both. And um, either way, Kate Winslet's great in that. Um, I've not seen a few others. There's a movie from last year called The Dressmaker that I really want to watch um, that David backs from um, Battleship Pretension, highly recommended. Uh, it, it looks pretty interesting. Um, I saw something else with her in it that I really liked, though, and I can't think of what it was now. Is it Revolutionary Road? I haven't seen that, but that's her and Leo again, right? Um, That, and we've talked about it recently, um, oh, Heavenly Creatures, which is, I can't believe that that film was only made three years before Titanic was. I haven't seen that. Um, That's the Nutto one, and I think it takes place in New Zealand. Um, And then, like, I can't remember, but um, I haven't, I can't recall seeing her in a role like this yeah I, um, I can agree with yeah um so that i don't know 
I mean, I thought she did a great job. Um, I love that she kept telling him not to use the word nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice, that's all you've got. Um, that's the best adjective, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then at the end, I'm jumping ahead, I'm jumping ahead. Um, <laughs> when we hear something, all that he can say, one of the worst things he can say about her is that she doesn't seem very educated. He yeah. can't talk to her about books, and she doesn't have a very good vocabulary. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and then, um, but he has to go big and, and basically calls her a slut, even though there's no real evidence to that. support that. Yeah. Um, and she she's very offended by it, making it feel even more likely he was just looking, he was trying to find something to hate about her. Um, and I think maybe because she's so impulsive, he associates that with the likelihood of just like spontaneous sex. Um, but which is interesting because even though they, it seems early in their kind of relationship um, that she sleeps over at his house, it's still not. I don't know. They're just like we've already said there are no indications of that um yeah and again the the anger she has about it seems to imply that he's being off but then again she does get into a relationship with patrick i mean you can't say relatively quick because she doesn't remember joel at all um it just an important plot point that we need to clarify is this film's plot structure is is very different because we actually start at the end um we see him meet her what we think is the first time at the beginning of the movie and that's um we're soon you should be slightly confused as uh he goes to pick her up they oh he goes to drop her off she's gonna get some stuff and while he's waiting um elijah wood's character patrick knocks on the window and asks him what he's doing there and he seems very confused doesn't understand we don't understand um and then it goes to from daytime in the car to nighttime with him crying and we don't quite understand why just yet and we will then find out um that she's erased him from his memory from her memory so uh no one's supposed to talk to her about him he was we find that out because he's complaining to his friends that he went to give her a present and she ignored him and so he out of spite once he finds out about this procedure decides to have it done as well um that if she's gonna forget him he's gonna forget her and it's this experimental procedure i guess experimental is not accurate anymore it's this really revolutionary procedure where they can isolate memories and remove them to help you deal with like grief or loss or you know whatever negative feelings you associate with these memories they can get rid of them ideally that you'll be better and that is a big philosophical question and i should have got the the person who wrote the article but i, I read another article uh it was a film um analysis essay and one of the philosophical questions this film asks is are we the sum of our memories or is there more to us than the sum of our parts like are we something more do we exist without our experiences and well and that i feel like every single thing you go through every single experience you have every everything that you encounter every single day makes you who you are i don't really i mean not to go off on a tangent here no, but it's i not feel a like it's exactly what this movie is debating um so it's this it's exactly uh that's the sum of our parts the idea we're products of our environment um but uh, keep in mind, this movie seems to go that we're we're more than our just our memories um, or our experiences, um, because despite having their memories erased, as we see at the very beginning of the movie, they're drawn to each other again. Yeah, again. So. Um, that one, even with the memories gone, you still have these instincts and these um, natural feelings that occur over and over again. And we have at least two examples in this film of that happening. The opening of the movie, which again, we think is the initial encounter, but we later learn is not the initial encounter. It's their second first meeting. Um, and him going to Montauk uh, randomly and impulsively, mind you, which is not his style. And he even notes that at the beginning of the movie, as he's writing in his diary, we get his voiceover. Um, he's doing something very out of character. And it's because of the memory of her, which isn't the memory of her. Obviously, it's the memory of her, which means it's not her. She doesn't suggest it. He suggests it as her. In other words, he almost asked himself, what would Clementine do? And so she says, go to Montauk. So she imp she embeds this idea to go this impulse to go to the beach without any reason there's no there's no explanation there's no memory of why but he feels compelled to do it and that's where the, the movie seems to say that we are more than just some of our our memories because he doesn't remember it but he feels driven to go there and so 
it's something else or something more than just our, our experiences. Um, so one of the things um, I, I don't this, the downside of not going like plot by plot point is that we do kind of go all over the place. But um, I feel like we do that anyways. <laughs> probably. Um, I want to talk about uh, the visuals a little bit more. And let's start with the colors. Um, did you notice her hair colors change? Yes. Um, when we first meet her, which is at the end again, this is she's had the, her memory erased. Joel's had his memory erased. They meet for the first time, which is really the second time. Um, her hair is blue. Blue. Mm-hmm. And did you notice what she called the color? Yes, I was like, I wonder if that's where he got his movie title yeah, from. Uh, Corey didn't say it, but it's Blue Ruin is what they call it. And that's, we just uh, recently did the I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore with Macon Blair. Macon Blair is the star of the film Blue Ruin. So it is it is questioning, um, you know, if that was something that he pulled from this film. Um, she also serves him a drink that she also calls Blue Ruin. Um, and so uh, her hair is blue. Um, then the, when we start going backwards through his memories, again, we start kind of with the end of their relationship and work our way to the beginning of their relationship. Her hair is orange at the, uh, towards the end of their relationship. Um, it's red and they, like when they're really together. And when he first met her the very first time, not the time we think is the first time, but the real first time, her hair is green, um, which is on purpose. Uh, do you get, do you have, do you have any experience with color theory? Uh, that would be uh, a no. <laughs> like, well, I kind of have a little. I mean, I don't know how extensive. Um, the one that I can't place is green. Like what the green would mean. I know that the the blue is like sadness. Yeah, definitely. And so it's at the end of the relationship. She's had her memory wiped. She dyes her hair blue because she feels off she feels sad and that's why when we meet her the first time which is again really the second time um she her hair is blue because she's sad she's upset and so blue um orange the, is happy not in this case orange can mean happy um although yellow is usually used more frequently for happy um okay in this case it's uh I think boredom is what we're going for. Um, Orange? In this case, uh, think of the timing in their relationship. She's tired of him. Um, I'm going to pull it up so I have a better frame of reference. Um, What? Because I remember she's like having fun and talking about... Uh, now that is when he gives her the nickname, Tangerine. Clementine the Tangerine or Tangerine clementine okay now but um she's still she has the that color hair through the end of their relationship um and so we have to remember we when we first see the orange hair it's when they're at their worst when they're calling each other names and they're having the big fights um we she walks out slams the door mm-hmm. so while eventually we see when she first did it it wasn't negative um th- the first encounter we have with it though is in a negative light and so that's the implication um that their relationship is is not in good health i'm trying to find exactly because i don't think bored is the best description of it but i'm trying to find um where they dis- discuss it uh, this is um there's all sorts of articles where people talk about the color theory of this film um it's very interesting um i got it in front of me here uh this is wait that's green red is the second here's the orange during the orange phase that the problems between the two start to emerge the era of red passion has passed which we'll talk about in a second um and the fervor has died down they really have to start living with one another when things are orange and all those little personal quirks they have happened that were happy start to um i'm sorry they were happy to ignore in the heat of their new romance become harder to deny we start to see their relationship dissolve and reverse filling in the blanks between the polarities of painful disgust and euphoric delight we've witnessed this far and this is an article on screenprism.com um by jeff saparito um which oddly enough this was only written two years ago given that this is an older film that's kind of interesting but um it goes to show you why this film uh this film's still getting analyzed and studied because there's so much going on um if you're not familiar with charlie kaufman uh he is a notoriously innovative writer um i think this might be the first film you've seen of his probably he's a writer director in this case he's just the writer but um he did synecdoche new york um uh adaptation which is one i haven't seen yet um he did um and anomalisa um which i did oh god i'm fired that's okay um it's a weird name um i did see that recently um uh i'm forgetting something um raising her not raising arizona being john malkovich being john malkovich which i still haven't seen but really really want to um he's got at least one more adaptation it says nicholas cage movie not raising arizona i apologize for saying that what is it human nature maybe 
But he's a very innovative writer. Um, he likes to do, like, Synecdoche has got a lot of similar crazy visuals, um, lots of stuff happening. Anomalisa's got some interesting stuff, although that is a uh, stop-motion um, film. Um, but this film's got so much going on with the different colors. And uh, the red, again, is passion. And the green in her hair color is uh, new. Um, green often mm. can mean, like, new, uh, interesting kind of new life. Um, going back to that article, uh, he says when Clementine and Joel first meet, her hair is a shade of green there is long and grown out with significant roots showing revealing the blonde underneath and she pairs it with a bright orange sweatshirt green is the color of life or of renewal of nature um and so it is associated with harmony freshness and ambition uh the presence of her roots only emphasizing the budding life of their connection so um and that's this guy's opinion obviously there's color theory is called theory for a reason there's no definitive answer um it's just based on you know what people intentionally use it for and things like that um it's important though because again it does it one it helps the viewer differentiate the time frame of of the story every time we see her with blue we know it is post her memory erasure so like when we see her with patrick we get the time frame and so not only does it have those um implied meanings it does help with a frame of reference for the audience which is necessary when your plot's going to be kind of all over the place um let's see uh awesome scenes um in the beginning when he's talking to his friends and he we see him at the bookstore trying to give her the gift and she's doesn't know who he is um and she starts kissing some guy that we don't we can't see his face even though it's pretty obvious that it's patrick it's not clear and then he walks out of the bookstore and it like the lights start shutting off as he walks out of the bookstore and then he transitions and he's back in the apartment I i love that so much and there's tons of great transitions like that where it'll just cut to something else and like you'll be in one position and then all of a sudden he's in that same position in in frame but he's in another room wearing different clothes or whatever. It's, it's there's so much awesome I visual. Loved the part where he has gone to this doctor and he comes back home and it's such a rapid turn of events. Um, just it's not even a turn of events, but it just happens so rapidly. Um, he comes into his apartment. He changes really quickly. He takes this pill. Um, I think he's in the kitchen now. Um, he goes over to his window. I just love that whole like succession. Mm-hmm. And I like how um, we think we're seeing the memory of him going to the place, but it's actually being erased. Like, we're we're in the procedure already, but we don't know it right away. It's not until we see him walk in on himself going through the memory mapping that it, he, it, he realizes that he's in it already and then we're always like oh man it's already happening um and we hear mark ruffalo talking um some other uh iconic shots the shot um looking down on them laying on the ice is so gorgeous um uh, joel and uh clementine laying down on the ice um it's just such a cool shot and he's like talking about the uh constellations and stuff that he doesn't he's making up because he doesn't know anything um but it's just such a beautiful shot in the composition of the frame i i love it's it's the poster of the film too it's also on the cover of the box but it's just it's such a gorgeous shot um and it's real apparently uh that's another fact i read tonight was that um they were it called for snow but they were willing to just change that um but it snowed really really hard when they were filming so they got lucky that the the lake was even frozen for them to do that so um, i i hate snow i feel like i need to put that out there but there's a scene where he i think it might be when he's walking when he's walked out of the bookstore from seeing clementine and trying to give her the gift and there's just very very light snow falling and you can barely see it in the street lights um and then also the part where his memory is being erased and the house is falling apart at the beach but isn't the house flooding at the beginning of that It, it the water washes it away um, and oh. from what I read of on the 15 facts that I was reading um, that to make that happen, they built a house closer to the water so that when the tide rose, it would actually wash it away. So, um, yeah, that's uh, in fact, what I read, too, is that most of the effects like there's a scene where he is uh, young Joel. He's a baby Joel. Um, that's creepy, too. It, yeah, but it's hilarious. And um, but they went old school <laughs> practical effects to make him look small compared to her. Um, like they, uh, so it's not CG. It's like legitimately just, you know, visual. You're making the table bigger, that kind of thing. Um, I love that sequence. And I love how they cut back and forth with him as with Jim Carrey as the kid, but also then as the kid, like later in the film, um, him and Clementine, she's wearing a little cowgirl hat, um, but it's two little kids, but then it's them. Then it's Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey. And then it's back to the two little kids again and back and forth where we see that it's them. But they like, I, I just love those visual moments and that sad moment where he kills the bird with the hammer. Well, he, he's, you know, the, the, the bird's clearly hurt. 
and he's putting it out of his misery, but still it's it's brutal and he feels guilty about it. Um, of course, the funny scene of him, uh, you know, masturbating and his mom walking in on him and having like... <laughs> I'll just come back and ask tomorrow or yeah. something. <laughs> and, uh, and her laughing at him for that is hilarious. Um, um, oh, God. I love all the little things that pay off because in the beginning of the movie, he doesn't seem to remember anything. And he goes outside and his car is damaged and he leaves a note on the car next to him. Thanks a lot, jerk or whatever. Um, but Louis later finds out oh, that that's... Clementine wrecked the car. She's the reason there was damage on the car. But he doesn't remember that because he doesn't know who Clementine is. And then when he meets her on the train, uh, she's like, don't make any dumb jokes. He's like, well, I don't know any jokes. She's like, Huckleberry Hound? Oh, my darling Clementine and he doesn't know that but later when he first met her we see that he sang that to her but they deleted that out of his head because it would have reminded her him of her so like those little things at the beginning really pay off um, when you get the the rest of the story especially because if you go into this movie cold that opening scene it feels like them falling in love for the first time when in reality they've already been in a relationship they just don't remember it and um, I love that element of the, the plot structure of this film it really pays off a lot in that way um, Elijah Wood plays another creep huh i was just about to say why does he keep playing creepers um a very uncomfortable um with some of the things that we hear he does um mark ruffalo um who i think is charming all the time yeah i, I love ruffalo um the whole part where she, he steals her underwear and he's practically stalking her he's trying to insert himself into clementine's life well, and he's using or joel's he... diary to uh be joel basically to try to woo her because it worked for joel so he's using it which of course you have to ask like why aren't you getting that it didn't work for joel because they broke up that's why you even had access to her um but he's obviously not the smartest guy um chris uh, kirsten dunn's character mary doesn't like him either um and that's a plot point in the film is what allows him to leave the uh, the the memory erasing of Joel and go to Clementine but Clementine knows this guy's fake like you see her kind of go through this where she realizes something's off um, particularly when they're, her and him are laying on the ice like Joel and her had and he literally says verbatim what Joel had written down which is um, I could die right now I'm just so happy and she sits bolts up you know she's like we have to go and like she is done she doesn't know why she doesn't know why but the instincts inside know that something's off this guy is not who he's claiming to be um, I also something lame it's a little like thing it, it's completely unrelated but I couldn't help but notice it um, Mary is talking to Mark Ruffalo's character and says um isn't it great how dr i always forget his name henry something um uh helps people begin again and mark ruffalo later will star in a movie called begin again directed by john carney so i was like oh i know it's unrelated but i can't help but notice it and think it's funny um yeah because she totally it's very emphasized begin again and i'm like and then later he'll lead that movie and it's pretty good it's not great it's good um let's see here i'm looking at my notes um i I liked the how it was revealed that Mary had had oh. that relationship with the doctor. Yeah, major plot point. Um, she, we get early on that she's got the hots for the doctor, but um, we but find didn't out. she just sleep with Mark didn't Ruffalo? they sleep together uh it's implied that they did because he's naked and she's naked um but it, it's one of those things where it's i think it's more of like a crush for her like she doesn't think she'll actually end up in a relationship with the doctor because he's married he has kids but she definitely admires and looks up to him she's probably being more practical that mark ruffalo is her age um i, I don't remember his character name but um that the, they have a they could actually have a relationship so she's pursuing that she clearly likes him and respects him but she admires the doctor like he's on a pedestal like he is the ideal man to her he's made this amazing uh thing where he can help people um she thinks he's going to be in these quote books like he's a genius to her um and so she throws herself at him and he tries to you know no 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 and whatever don't blame yourself she's embarrassed and then we see uh, his wife is outside because she was suspicious and it's revealed that Mary and him had an affair and he made her go through the procedure he says that we agreed but it, from the tape it sounds like he kind of pushed the issue um, that you I don't want you to be gone but I also don't want you to remember that we were together and so um, that's where the turning point is Mary uh, very upset with the fact that she's been you know her memory erased and she still fell in love with him again um, which we know has at least happened once but you gotta wonder how many times has he erased her memory um, you know what I mean like could, could he have done this multiple times with her or is it only the once but uh, the erasing the memory again this shows that it does not get rid of the feeling she still fell in love with him again and this time though she takes all the files and returns them to everybody because she wants to shut this crap down because it doesn't work it doesn't do what it's supposed to do um 
Now, the movie, um, uh, at some point, Joel realizes that he loves Clementine and doesn't want her to be erased. So that's where some of the fun elements in the plot where he starts hiding in his memories. That's where we mentioned the masturbation scene and the killing of the bird scene. Those are all his attempts of hiding Clementine in his memory and his subconscious so that they can't completely erase her. But they're able to find her and keep going. And so um, eventually he just accepts the fact that it's going to end. And there's this really touching moment where we're seeing their first meeting and Clementine, they, they have their little original conversation, the memory conversation, and then his subconscious starts kind of talking through, and she's like, but it's going to be gone soon. And he's, he looks at her, and he's like, what, what are we going to do? And he's like, enjoy it. Like, I'm going to enjoy this memory. I'm going to savor this. It's going to be gone soon, but I'm going to sit and, and be with it. And it's so powerful. It's so touching and heartbreaking at the same time, because he knows it's going to be gone, but he loves her so much that he's going to just try to enjoy this memory, relish it as long as he can until it's gone. And and I love that line. I love that sequence. Um, and even what follows with them, we see them go into the house um, and he goes to leave because that's what he did originally. And she says, what if you didn't leave this time? What if you stayed? And it's just like, oh, God, this love story is so great. Um, I, I absolutely love the love story, mainly because it, it is imperfect. They're not they're not even necessarily meant for each other. He's he's very shy. He doesn't make eye contact. She's extremely outgoing and impulsive. Um, but I, I the love is real. I love that the beginning where he's like doodling and i don't even want to call it doodling because he's very talented uh-huh. but um he says why do i fall in love with every single woman gives me the least bit of attention mm-hmm. yeah i love that um and uh man is this on our top five this was one of my favorite love stories i don't remember if it was my number one i think it might have been um but i do i do love this love story it is it's it's gut-wrenching at times it's heartbreaking and um at the end um they they've met each other again you know they've they seem very interested and immediately I think they're falling in love even faster this time than they did on their initial meeting um, because there is that connection still even though they don't remember it it's there and when they find the tapes and they find out that they've been together and they're both kind of shocked initially he thinks she's playing a trick and yells at her and then she hears him say she's a slut basically and she goes to leave and he chases her out and I love that despite knowing that they're broken and they don't work together they're so enamored with one another that they're willing to give it another try. And I love what that says, like the idea of destiny. Um, Like, are they destined to fail or can they make it work? Maybe knowing that these are issues that they have with each other they can try to work them out rather than ignoring them um maybe this time it can work maybe they can make it make it work instead of it you know being doomed to fall uh apart again but that was one good that that was one of the scenes that made me really anxious because he made her shut her recording off in the car and made her get out of the car actually Mm -hmm. but then when she's at his apartment i realize that she tells him to keep playing it that it, she deserves it, but it just keeps going. They never yeah. stop it. Well, it, I, I think it's at that point that when he heard it, it, it seemed like she was get, like praying, playing a joke on him, like that she had recorded her talking to, to mess with him. Um, now they know what it is and there's a better understanding that it's not a joke. It's not. And so I think them listening to it, like I could see even them going back to her tape and hearing what else she said um, about him. Um, but... I don't, I don't know. Knowing all of that and still being willing to go for it is really strong to me about love. Like the feelings I have that are positive for you are so strong. I'm willing to take the risk. And given like my wife and I are not the same people at almost at all. Like we have a few things and some of the major things I think are similar, but there's a lot of things where we're very different. Our interests are different. Our, um, the, our, so the way the social element of our personalities are different. Um, our music tastes are different. You know, there's a, there's so many things that are different, but our love for each other is is strong, and, and our respect for the differences um, is really strong. And I think that's why our relationship has lasted for twelve years. Um, and I see that potential in the in these characters' story that they they their love is so strong but they allowed those differences to pull them apart. And now they know those differences. Can they make it work? It's like, I, I love the hope that I'm given at the end that maybe they can. Um, and even if they can't, they've learned a valuable lesson that um, even, you know, there might be pain. The good times are worth the pain that might come. You know, the amount of pain that they might experience that they, they both originally thought they couldn't deal with and they had erased. They've now learned that it's better to have the love and lose it than to never have had it at all. 
which is because it takes know, away yeah all those good things they experienced and had forgotten because when you're in pain it's hard to remember the good times you know you you only remember the bad especially in the initial breakup you know when it first happens it is hard to remember the good it's very easy to remember the bad and um that's how that works out um but i want to know your overall thoughts on the film um do you love uh the yeah, do you dislike? Do you kind of like? What What's your uh, final thoughts? And then we'll get our actual ratings. Um, I really liked it. I guess now talking about it with you, I like it more. Ah, well, that's good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. now I'm looking at my notes to see if there's anything I didn't mention that I wanted to. Um, do to do. Patrick being creepy is for sure. Although you gotta wonder if maybe the doctor is even creepier, given that he had an affair on his with his on his wife. He cheated on his wife had an affair with um mary someone that's probably the age of some of his children convinced mary to then uh, erase that relationship from her memory and then kept her as an employee kept her near him which is messed up like it's like controlling as f (laughs) yeah um so there's a lot of funny scenes like um jim carrey taking a bath in the kitchen sink is pretty funny um the actual poem by alexander pope that mary recites that has the phrase eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is really interesting because that's where the name of this film comes from is that poem um there's the full poem is available online if you google it um don't be a monster oh that's the line from the the wife um oh the scene um when He's at, he sees her at, uh, was it Barnes and Noble? She said she worked at, um, there's the, the books as they're talking in the aisle of the books, he's telling, you know, it's their first meeting after their first meeting. So they met at a party. Um, and he tells her that he has a girlfriend, but you know, whatever. Then he's so enamored by her. He finds her at her job to ask her out and when he gets there like if you watch the books slowly all the titles fade away like initially like you see where they're standing like the the section titles on the shelves have words on them but suddenly they're just white all the covers of the books will slowly fade away as those details are being deleted from his memory it's part of the process as the everything's going away which is just one of many scenes where the stuff around him changes like the faces get distorted and kind of monstrous at times on certain people's faces um people go into full shadow there's like a fog at certain points and this time it's that erasure of all those background details and it's subtle and it happens kind of gradually and it's easy to overlook because you the the focus is on the characters but having watched this four times my eyes start to wander in the scenes and i'm no longer just looking at the characters especially now i'm getting much more familiar with charlie kaufman's writing style and he does i would say he's like a surrealist um when it comes to his stories particularly synecdoche new york but in anomalisa and in this film there's a lot of surrealism and my understanding adaptation is no different um in fact adaptation is about himself and Nicolas Cage is playing Charlie Kaufman trying to adapt a book that is supposedly impossible to adapt into a screenplay. I can't remember what the name of the book is because I haven't seen adaptation. But um, And I love that surrealist element to his films. Um, and Michael Con- Michael Condry? Is that, who, is that the director's name or am I screwing that up? Gondry. It's Gondry. Um, Gondry. Uh, I love how he nailed this movie. I think there's so many great visuals. Uh, the casting is really excellent. And again, great performances. Um, he is also, oh, I keep forgetting. He directed Be Kind Rewind, which is a film that I love. And a lot of people haven't seen. It stars Most Deaf and Audrey? Jack Black. Yeah. Um, also, The Science of Sleep, it looks like. Yeah, which I've not seen that. I haven't either, but it has a very memorable cover art. He also directed The Green Hornet in 2011, which I found entertaining on my first watch, but the second attempt of watching it, I could not sit through. Um, and uh, that looks like it for big movies. He's done. He's got 35 drafts, or not drafts, geez, um, credits, but a lot of them look like, like music videos and shorts. Um, yeah, he did the Foo Fighters Everlong video, which is pretty great, though. Um, but Be Kind Rewind is an underrated film for sure, and it did spawn a uh, cult following who make Swede movies so Gondry's got some innovative stuff but by far this movie stands out visually and I know that's Kaufman's writing um, just given if you see the other films that Kaufman's involved with uh, they are much more similar to Eternal Sunshine than Gondry's other films Um, so all these amazing visuals are definitely in the screenplay and I think Kaufman was involved with the the recording process Um, not he's not listed as a co-director but I do think he had some input and um, I think that's it for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Um, my review my rating is must see um 
it is i think in my it's if it's not in my top 10 films of all time it's fastly approaching as i've uh seen it more and more i i become more and more enamored with it i love everything about this movie um even kirsten dunce who is hit or miss she does some she has some crappy performances in 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 the hit in the past but this particular one um i think she does a really good job she's it's a small part but it's an important part um but jim carrey and and um kate winslet shine i love their relationship and i love uh what this movie makes you think about and every time i watch it i think about something else i noticed something else and uh, again i love the even the plot structure of this film um so Corey, the big question is since this is your first viewing what do you think of the rating mm, i'm gonna go with not quite golden pony boy um which is higher than i would initially rate it um after talking about it also shout out to um i usually often i should have said this before pay attention um soundtracks really get me when i'm watching a film but the only song that really stood out to me at all was the Beck song. Um, everybody's got to learn. Sometimes they play it twice in the movie. Well, or I I don't I'm not as noticeable with soundtracks in all movies. Like some movies where the soundtrack is blatant, like I will pick up on things, but often I overlook stuff. Um, some of the things I read made me think more about the sound in this movie, and they do some really interesting things with it. Um, I want to rewatch the first scene again because apparently when they're on the train and talking, when they're talking, there's music playing, but when they stop and are awkwardly sitting, the music stops and the music plays yeah. when they talk, and that's that's really interesting choices. And I'm like reading here. I'm just on the Wikipedia. I of wikipedia and it says um many of the vocal songs either revolve around memories or the sun and that would make sense if i'm like i was super paying attention because the visuals were standing out to me so but um yeah yeah um and synecdoche new york was a film that was recommended to me by our friend brendan who was on the handmaiden episode of this podcast um and i i didn't love it because it's super surreal and it's very very weird but there's so many awesome things in that movie I want to rewatch it because it was definitely um, not one that you could sit through one time and get everything out of it um, the story is definitely a little more confusing too this Eternal Sunshine story while it's structured oddly um, and innovatively um, the story's kind of conventional in the, in the big picture sort of way it's a love story you know we're going to have this guy uh, makes a wish to have his pain removed and it is granted by this machine so it follows the Blake Snyder out of the bottle um, archetype quite well but ultimately it's about the love and, and that but there's you know again there's a lot of thought-provoking elements not to, in no way am I saying this is a simple story but at its root at its base it is a familiar story synecdoche did not feel that way at all it feels very much um experimental and you know you have to really decipher what the story is and i don't know that i've done that well enough but let's talk about our next episode um again the idea here is that for our next episode you would um you the audience you the listener would watch the movie uh, it's like you're a member of the movie club and um, uh, tweeted us or email us your review, your thoughts of the film, um, even giving one of our ratings if you'd like. And we would read your tweet or email on the podcast um, as, you know, like you're a part of the club, like you're sitting here with us having this conversation. And uh, so we tell you at the end of our episodes what movie we're going to watch. And um, we have decided the next three episodes are going to be featuring Danny Boyle films um, because Trainspotting 2 is coming out. So next week um, we're going to be doing Trainspotting which I've only seen once and Corey has seen three times, I think you said. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That is also a movie that I feel, one, there's a surrealist element to his visuals like Eternal Sunshine and like Synecdoche um, that I loved when I saw it the first time, but I definitely need to rewatch it. There's a few scenes that I'm kind of like, oh my God, I don't want to sit through that scene. Dreading, yeah. Um, But... (laughs) Uh, the I do want to refresh my memory before Trainspotting 2 hits theaters everywhere. So we've decided to do that one. So if you want to, you can tweet at us and use the hashtag um, MC um, Trainspotting. So hashtag MC Trainspotting, that's Movie Club Trainspotting, um, to make sure we can find it. So you can tweet at us. or um, And I am at Burke Reviews. Corey is... At Corey R. Star to R's on the end. Or you can go to our website, uh, BurkeReviews.com, and email us, um, and we can read your email. Um, simply enough, though, my email is John Burke at BurkeReviews.com. Um, we're going to have some merchandise coming out soon. Uh, we've got stickers on the way. Um, if you haven't been to the site recently, we've changed our, our logo at the top. That logo is essentially what's going to be on the uh, sticker. Um, and then we also have uh, you know promotional things that we're going to be trying to do. Um, I'm going to be covering the Star Wars celebration.
celebration in Orlando, Florida um, on April uh, 13th through the 16th. And then the following week is the Florida Film Festival, and I will be covering that um, as a member of the press for both. Uh, so check our site and our podcast will be themed for those two events. Um, for the Star Wars celebration, we're going to be doing, uh, this is early, this is news, we don't usually do this with Top 5, but we're going to be doing Top 5 Star Wars moments. So those are going to be our favorite Star Wars moments for that week. Um, Mike and I are both getting to go to that one. Mike is our buddy on the Top 5 podcast and our writer on the site. And um, for the film festival, uh, I don't know what top we're going to do just yet because it's, you know, I'm the only one getting to go to the festival, so it won't be related to what's playing this year at our film festival. But we'll do something film festival themed, maybe our favorite Sundance winners or something like that. I don't know. Um, we'll figure it out when we get there. But if you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us, share us, post us on your Facebook, tweet about our podcast, um, support podcasts in general. Um, there's, it's a free medium. A lot of us put a lot of time and effort into making these. Um, you know, these are topics that we are passionate about and we love talking about, and we hope you love listening to so anything you can do to help spread the word to get more people listening so it's easier for us to continue doing this uh we are grateful um please check out our website burkreviews.com again uh i write frequently and Corey and mike write when they can um but i am the current sole contributor however if you're interested in writing for the site um you want to write a review and send it to me at john burke at burkreviews.com i'd love to add some some additional writers to the site even if you're just operating as a guest for now unfortunately none of us get paid for writing so if you're looking for extra income we are not your place as of right now but if we grow if we continue to grow and we get more and more viewers i would love to be able to offer something to our writers so who knows wh what the future will hold um we are growing we've been doing this uh now for just about a year um the site itself is over a year the podcast we're approaching a year um with the top five and this new this podcast is only uh just in, in its infancy at three months um only episode 11 uh but you know still we, can't believe it's been 11 i know right um we have a good time doing it it's it's a lot of fun and we hope uh that you enjoy listening so with that i think we will call this an episode again next week we'll be doing train spotting um so check that out tweet us your reviews and we hope to uh read them on our podcast Corey, thank you for giving up your friday evening to record this thank you have a good weekend you as well i'm on spring break so i'm excited um well, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's cold, though, if that's any constellation. Um, we're on uh, my current favorite meme is a Lord of the Rings meme where they change it to um, someone says, but we're, it's winter. And he's like, what are you talking about? We already had winter. He's like, yes, but what about second winter? Because that's how it feels. Because <laughs> a week ago it was 90 degrees. And this week it's been 38 degrees, 40 degrees, and <gasps> 37 degrees or something like that the last three mornings. So. Three. It's, it's super crazy for the spring break to be here. And I'm like, hey, I need a jacket. What's going on? So, <laughs> but, all right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Bye. Peace. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.